Welcome in everyone to episode 31 and a half of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. I am Kenny Cochran, joined by my co-host, Mr. Jake Hill. Oh, yeah. And I said 31 and a half for a reason, and that is because if you were tuned in to the YouTube Live, you noticed that we went live about 10, 15 minutes ago and kicked this thing off in full celebration of what we got to talk about today. And through technical difficulties, we had to take a little recuperation period, knock that sucker down, go back up again so take two but we're here and uh hopefully we can get this the ship righted back on the right path and uh hop in here and and give you guys some uh some good content what we got jake how we looking Uh, we're not looking good again on the youtube side of things i'm gonna go ahead and say that now we are having red alarms pop up again but hopefully we can make it through this bad boy this go around um I think I might have pressed something last time, actually. Uh, I was trying to restart our stream. I, I, I tried to play it off like I did not do anything, but I did try to restart the stream and see if I can get the stream going, but I did not know if you press end stream, it also ends recording. So it kind of threw us all out of whack. Now I tried to start the stream back up, and it said, no, you can't stream. Something's wrong. So now we're back. Um, It, it was it was a absolute mess that we just went through, but we're going to get this thing kicked off, and hopefully we can make it through this podcast without any more restarts because, uh, yeah, that would be no fun. Yeah, hopefully we can make it through this sucker, but hey, regardless, if you're on the YouTube side of things, you might have to deal with a little technical difficulties. We apologize for that, but hey, on the podcast side of things, the audio should be there. The recording should be there, so if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, uh, you should be A-OK. Yes. So, uh, without further ado, let's kick this sucker off, Jake. Welcome to Peach Day Tailgate, the official podcast of the... 2022-2023 Georgia Bulldog National Champs. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Go dogs, baby. Go dogs. I mean, back to back, son. Dude, two years in a row, we run this thing back. Me and Jake have been telling telling you guys the entire time we've been on this train. We've been talking about the boys, talking about the dogs, talking about this coaching staff. The fans have been showing up and showing out. We've been here week after week. 15-0, man. Back-to-back national champs in uh, dominating fashion, I will say. Last week, we came in here and we talked about the Ohio State matchup. After a, a you know multi-week sabbatical, I will say, we came in and, and kind of broke the silence with the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast and talked about Ohio State, what we kind of saw from that game or what we were expecting to see from that game and uh, you know how it ended up. And boy... Total barn burner. Obviously, you guys know that. And then headed into this title matchup, everybody was kind of expecting maybe a similar situation. You talk about closest college football playoff matchups of all time, and then you go into a national championship game against the TCU. Kind of a Cinderella story, I will say. Not to mention the Stetson Bennett Cinderella story, but nonetheless, a dominant dogs team. And um, I'll be the first one to say, man, hand up. This game did not go at all how I expected. And uh, the dogs win in dominating fashion. And boy, does it feel good. It was too easy. That, that, that's what it felt like the whole time. And, and we talked about this a little bit earlier on, on take one. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it was just it, from the start, man. Um, this, this game was an absolute runaway. Going into the game, I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit anxious about seeing what this Georgia team could do against this TCU team. It's not so much about Georgia. It was more about TCU and the type of football they played all year long. Um, this is a team that is known for coming back. That's that's kind of their their mojo, their um, their game. We talked about it multiple times with their um, timely defense, timely offense, all that stuff. Big play offense. And uh, none of that worked for them on this game because we had our way on the defensive side of the ball. We had our way on the offensive side of the ball. Everything that Georgia could do right, they did. And it shows in that final score because, boy, it was terrible. 
Yeah, man, it was an absolute bloodbath, I will say. And um, I'll be the first one to say, a lot of fans are going to come out here and say that it wasn't an exciting game. It wasn't a game. That they, they wanted to see the close matchup. They wanted to see the nitty-gritty come out there and fight to the very end like it was the Ohio State matchup. Man, as a lifelong Georgia fan, somebody that's seen these boys suck and seen these boys rise to the occasion, and it's been a slow, slow escalator trip through the past couple decades to where we are now with Mr. Kirby Smart. I am not past the point of not being excited for blowout wins. Yeah. I love every second of it. Yeah, me too, man. It's You mentioned it. We've been trying to fight for this stuff for years now, it seems like. And, then, you know, last year we finally broke into that national championship, something that we felt like was going to happen for so long, um, really ever since Kirby Smart really got here. And then, you know, two years in a row doing it in such dominant fashion this year, um, I, I don't mind it whatsoever. I've seen uh, SEC fans or college football fans all over the nation out there so mad that TCU got in. Um, you should not be mad at the college football playoff committee. You should be mad at the teams that they continuously beat throughout the season and Michigan. Um, Michigan was a team that everybody ranked really, really highly throughout the season. Obviously, they were undefeated until they ran until they ran into TCU. And that, uh, what was that bowl game? I'm sorry, I don't remember. I'm not going to try to search it up now. It's been too long. Um, until they ran into TCU with that bowl game going to the uh, national championship. And they got all matched by TCU in the long game. Um, crazy game we talked about last week. But, uh, yeah, they showed that they were a top four team. Maybe not a top four team, you know, talent-wise and personnel-wise, but most deserving, they were definitely in that top four. Well, you know, I mean, people are going to discredit TCU, too, and, and that's not what we're going to do on this show. I think Jake and I have both been very open about giving TCU all the congratulations they deserve and all the props that they deserve because they had an absolute hell of a season, man. Um, great season by those TCU Horn Frogs and Sonny Dykes, man. What he's been able to do with that program is just, you know, it can't go unnoticed. So props to them and props to everything. And for anybody out there that's saying TCU didn't deserve to be there, you're stupid. They literally won a playoff game to get there. So, um you talk about a Michigan team, like Jake just mentioned, that was highly ranked the entire season. People were arguing that this team deserved to be the number one team in the nation after that Ohio State matchup. And um, if you're going to argue about that team and then get pissed off that TCU made it after beating that team, then, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, Georgia beat everybody they needed to beat. TCU beat everybody they needed to beat. And they matched up how they matched up, and it went how it went. And, um, you know, here we are celebrating another natty. Back-to-back, -back, baby. Back-to-back -back natties, man. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, you are hundred percent right, man. It's Georgia really just on a on a on a bloodbath, you know, whole whole season, like all season long. Out, you know, we had the game against Ohio State. Ohio State came out and played the game of their lives. We looked back at Missouri. Missouri gave us a hell of a ride. I'm not gonna lie, um, a team that we should beat by multiple possessions, and we just didn't show up that day to play. Uh, it happens to most teams throughout the year. The funniest thing about this to me is uh. I hate to call out Alabama fans. Actually, I don't really hate to do it at all. It's, it's probably one of the most fun things to do in college football. But uh, Alabama fans are all over social media right now saying that, oh, hey, y'all lucky that y'all y'all are so lucky we didn't make that college football playoff. We should have been there. Well, if y'all were in our shoes right now and y'all just beat TCU 65-7 to in the national championship, I could already see y'all on social media now. Yeah, we know we the best team in the country. Y'all see what we did out there this weekend or this Monday? Y'all already know what we are, you know. Roll tight. Nah, man. It, it, it is what it is. Y'all have gotten y'all's cupcakes. Hey, man, we got to throw a couple at us every once in a while, too. 
Yeah, dude. I mean, if Alabama came out there and did the same thing, you're absolutely right. Those fans would be clamoring the same way we are. Even worse, because we know how Alabama fans get, man. Oh, next man up. Next man up. One guy goes down injured. It's just next man up over here. All these recruitings. All these recruiting classes. All these five stars we got sitting on the bench. Next man up. As soon as one guy gets hurt. Oh, that's the only reason you beat us. You know what's and you know what's so funny about that to me? Um, I'm going to say this now, and it's something I've seen multiple times. The whole world, um, I'm going to say mostly Alabama fans, but the whole world is hating on Stetson Bennett right now because he is a 25-year-old that is throwing the ball and, you know, becoming a Heisman finalist, winning back-to-back national championships. Let me tell you how you know that you are the new standard of college football. When you have a former walk-on quarterback that did not have an offer to any major schools, come to his dream school, transfer out to a JUCO, get offered a scholarship to come back and play, sit the bench, come in, start, win two national championships in his only two seasons as a starting quarterback, and people will still find a reason to hate this man because he wears red and black. That's how you know you are the standard of college football because this guy right here should be one of the most unhated, you know, superhero stories, American dream guys that you could look at, and people are still trying to find a way to hate this guy. Come on, guys, get get better. And it, as a Georgia fan, it makes me happy, like I just said, because we are the standard of college football now. That just proves it. I don't know about you, Kenny, but when we were watching two attack of Iloa, Alabama throw the ball over us, we couldn't do nothing but love the kid. Kid was one of the, you know, great kid on the field. Jalen Hurts, great kid on the field, but for some reason, whenever it's the opposite way around and there's a there's a guy wearing red and black on the field kicking everybody's ass. Things change. Oh, yeah, we hate this guy. Roll Tide, baby. So, you know, things go both ways. Bad fortune comes to you. Alabama fans, you just like your coach. Oh, yeah, go, go do some more Aflac commercials or something. Maybe it'll change your fortune. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. But you're absolutely right, man. You talk about Tua, Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow. Nobody was hating on these guys when they were winning. Not one person was hating on these guys. They talk about most dominant teams of all time. Everybody wants to talk about 2019 LSU, 2018 Alabama, 2018 Clemson. You know, go through the list. Talk about whoever you want to talk about. But a back-to-back national championship, first time ever in college football playoff era, 15-0 for, what, second or third time? I'm not 100% sure of, of how many times this happened, but this Georgia team to do it, coming off of a national championship appearance and a and a win and a 14 in one season the year before. I mean, this is just sheer domination, man. And you're right. It's the new standard of college football. And if you have anything negative to say about that or any disagreement to Georgia being the new standard of college football, then you just don't know ball. Yeah, you just don't know ball. Uh, it, it's it's hilarious to me. Um, it, it is beautiful because I, I'm not going to say that, uh, you know, having a great defense and obviously having a great offensive line and good weapons out there for sure. Doesn't help Stetson Bennett, but when we look back at the teams you just mentioned, uh, those quarterbacks definitely had great weapons and good defenses. Like, it is nothing new. Um, and the thing is, to me, is that you look at the biggest games of the past two years, the games that we were played close. Ohio State and Alabama in the national championship. Obviously, Alabama beat us in the SEC championship last year. But we're talking about the national championship last year and then, you know, Peach Bowl this, this, this past season. Um, those games were won by Stetson Bennett. If Stetson Bennett doesn't go out there and have the game he has, Georgia does not win those games. Defense are not winning those games. Obviously, the Ohio State one's a little bit more obvious. But you look back at the Alabama game, we were down. Stetson Bennett threw a ball. It looked like he threw it forward, took a fumble. Defense forced Alabama to a field goal. He went bonkers after that. Ohio State, fourth quarter, eight, wait, was it eight for 10, 180 yards, two tuds? Bonkers. This guy has the ability to win games, and it's the moxie. It's the swagger. This guy's a gamer. 
Everybody talks about it. We love gamers at the college football level. The only difference is this guy can throw a football a lot better than most gamers. I'm going to use quotations right there. Most gamers can. And we saw that on the other side of the field today, or not today, but on Monday night with uh, Mr. Max Duggan. Um, another guy you can't help but love. Obviously, we all love Max Duggan. A crazy story. Great kid, it seems like. But sometimes that gamer is a guy that you know might, might benefit off of... Uh, decent talent around him and, you know, playing lesser competition. Then you have gamers like Stetson Bennett who go out there and win damn football games. And that's what we love no, to see. You're absolutely right. And I'm glad you mentioned that too, because you're right. Everybody's going to talk about the defense. You talk about last year, potentially the, the best defense in college football history. I'm not going to argue that. Mm -hmm. And then you, you give away, you, you lose all those starters to the NFL draft or lose 15 total throughout the entire team last year's draft. And then you come in this year, what a lot of people expected to be a rebuilding year. And you come out and you still have a dominant defense. That's just another testament to this team, this coaching staff, and and what the new standard of college football is. And to to take it another note, because the defense is so prominent for the Georgia football uh, Georgia Bulldogs football team, let's talk about last year and this year's offensive numbers, man. This is a very interesting stat I have right here for you. If you take away the non-offensive points from the past two teams in 2021, Georgia's offense averaged 24 and a half points against teams who finished inside the AP top 25. In 2022, those same metrics, this Georgia offense averaged 14.3 points in those games. That's almost, that's almost a 20-point jump, man, between two years and a team that lost all its talent. Yes, the defense is generational. Absolutely. But when you're putting up 42.5 points against top 25 teams, not teams that were ranked in the top 25 and then we beat them by 50 and they weren't anymore. These are teams that finished the year as a consensus top 25 football team. And we're hanging 42 and a half on these teams. This is all about the offense. This is all about Todd Munkin. This is about Stetson Bennett. This is about the greatest quarterback in the history of Georgia football getting his roses and getting his awards like he should. I mean, the the most the, the winningest quarterback in college football playoff history, the most decorated quarterback in college football playoff history, a back-to-back -back national championship, and you're absolutely right. Him being 25 years old, man, has nothing to do with it. You'd be 25 years old, too, if you were a walk-on transferred to a JUCO, came back, had to work your way into a starting job. It, guess what? You'd be 25 years old because that takes time. It takes years to play for several different teams, several different schools. This is not him just hanging out and padding the stats. Dude hadn't been a full-time starter but two years. And guess what happened? He won back-to-back -back national championships. So if you want to hate on Stetson Bennett for whatever he's doing, I don't understand it. But as a football fan, I don't understand how you don't love this guy's story and you don't love the way that he carries himself and the way that he carries his team around him because this Georgia football team has such a unique identity. It's an identity that we haven't seen ever with the Georgia football team where the defense, we know the defense is going to be good. It's good every year, even when the teams aren't as good. But the offense has never been to this level. And you can thank Stetson Bennett for that. You can thank Todd Munkin for that. You can thank the entire team. But, man, for Stetson Bennett, as a Georgia fan, thank you for coming in here and doing what you've done. And I'm going to give you all the praises that you deserve, man, because you deserve every single bit of it. Yep. Uh, four-time four time, uh, MVP in college football playoff games and the only four college football playoff games he's ever played in. So um, offensive MVP, I should say. So absolute legend for sure. Um, do you think that kind of brings us into a little bit of a wrap-up of this game right here? Uh, it, it's kind of a hard game to really wrap up because of – how dominant of a win it was for George. Obviously, 65-7 to 7 was the final score. So it's definitely, you know, outside of Georgia fans, it's probably the most, you know, 
less watched uh, college football playoff game of all time. <laughs> I don't know if too many people were really tuning into this or, you know, probably tuning out of it pretty early. But I know me and Kenny, we both watched this thing from start to end because you got to love the graciousness. And I was telling, you know, my coworkers and stuff, talking to them about the game. Um, even going to the third quarter, I was not going to tune or lock out of this game until I saw Stetson Bennett walk off the field. Because this might sound like we are all like in love with Stetson Bennett, which we are. But I don't, you know, want to seem like we're obsessing about this man. But the thing is, this man is, like I, like I mentioned, the greatest Georgia football player of all time. Um, seeing him step off the field for the final time is a huge deal. So this is a game that we were really, really involved in. And not only Stetson, but guys like Jalen Carter, obviously. We talk about Broderick Jones, Darnell Washington. We have a ton of guys that aren't going to be here next year. And we just have to appreciate that talent because in the sports world, I, I know we know this for sure, your window can close at any moment. So Whenever you have teams like this and can run them out in the field, I know college football is a little bit different. You see that window kind of lag. You got to tell when that window is about to close. Um, but, you know, you have to admire these teams, you know, the most you can because these kids right here, man, you appreciate them a lot more at the college football level for sure when they're playing for your team. Oh, absolutely. It's so different in college because in college you have such a limited amount of time. Like when these guys go to the NFL, we can follow them for 10, 15 years. It, you know, it, Lord willing, they're, you know, healthy and, and able to stick around and play for that long. And you can kind of follow these guys and, and see what they do throughout the next decade if you want to. But in college, when you have, you know, three, four, five years, you know, in the case of Stetson Bennett, a little bit longer. But these guys are only there for that window. So, Jake, you're absolutely right. And and you you really build up kind of a – not a relationship because, you know, these guys, we don't know them all personally. But just watching them play every Saturday, you build up kind of a emotional attachment to them, I guess is the way to say you know, it's kind of like when you watch the Braves and, you, and you're and you emotionally attached to Freddie Freeman or you watch the Falcons and the same with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. You know, in college football, we get that same attachment to these players, but we get them for such a short time that you really need to enjoy them while they're here. So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, man. And for a Georgia fan, a, a fan of a team for 20-some-odd years, and, you know, this is a, a program that we've supported through thick and thin from years and years and years and we've been fighting our way through the trenches trying to get up to this point to where we can be the next big thing in college football we can get up to where we felt like we deserved to be with the recruiting and the coaching and everything and now we're here and we blow out a team 65 to 7 in the national championship game i'm not going to be one of those fans complaining that it wasn't a close game because that glory and that satisfaction of watching the dogs route whoever they play has not worn off on me yet baby i love it I love it too, man. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I I know any Georgia fan out there can really, really appreciate it. Um, it it was it was really awesome to see. Uh, damn, I don't even know where to start breaking down this game. Um, I, I I'm gonna say two names, and uh, just to start us off, and those two names are Stetson Bennett and Javon Bullard, um, offensive and defensive MVPs of this football game, and and very much deserved. Um. Stetson Bennett played a master class. You can't play a better game at quarterback. Tied Joe Burrow for the most uh, total touchdowns in a college football playoff game with six. Um, and then Javon Bullard, man. He got flagged really early on for a, a – what was that? I think it was a defensive holding call. Um, he got flagged for a defensive holding call. After that, the guy goes out there, recovers a fumble very next play. Then he goes on to have two really, really big interceptions in the game. Um, I played an absolute crazy game. I want to mention this guy's a true sophomore that was a three-star recruit last year. Shows you how much them stars really, really mean on guys. Guys like Lad McCocky and Javon Bullard and all these, you know, lower-end players that weren't really highly recruited, and now they're making plays or make becoming big parts of this team early, early on in their you know tenure at Georgia. So 
Javon Bullard, man, uh, we, I think I might mention him a little bit later because me and Kenny have some plans for some stuff we're going to talk about. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he turned. He has had a great season, and I, I'm happy he got he was able to finish it off. You know, this way. No, absolutely. And headed in more to a a game breakdown perspective, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and you know talk about TCU a little bit. I will say that uh, something that we talked about in the last podcast. I know I kind of hammered on hammered on it pretty heavily was uh this TCU defense. Everybody wants to talk about the three three five and and what kind of problems it can give an offense. Um. It's something that I pointed out early in the Michigan game that I saw where TCU trotted out that, you know, really conservative 3-3-5 early on and um, was the name Donovan Edwards busted off like a 55, 60-yard run and then they kind of walked down a, a safety and, and put seven in the box and changed the 3-3 three, three to more of a 3-4 look early on in the game. Something that I really expected them to do off the bat against Georgia, I didn't think they would try it out that 3-3-5 three, three, early on with how well we can run the ball and how efficiently we run the ball. And uh, boy, was I wrong. First possession, came out there, trotted out the most basic-looking 3-3 you've ever seen in your entire life, and we went Kenny Mack, long run, Brock Bowers, long reception, Stetson Bennett, read option keeper around the end for a touchdown. And, um, (laughs) man, credit to Todd Munkin, dude. I mean, I was just, I was one of many voices out here saying that there's no way TCU is going to trot out the 3 3 against this team and think that they're going to stop us. I bet Georgia's not watching as much film on the 3 3 as people think they are. Boy, I was wrong because Todd Munkin had the playbook dialed, baby. He was ready to see the 3 3. He had answers for it every single time. And when you score 65 points in a football game, much less a national championship game, yeah, you can go ahead and, 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 write it down in the books that uh, this team was prepared for it on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, Munkin had had another master class, something we kind of became uh, used to recently in, in the University of Georgia. I want to say, what, three straight games now against LSU, Ohio State, and TCU that we have scored over 40 points, which is very, very impressive, uh, you, especially from a Georgia, like this Georgia team. Um, not really saying this team we have now, but just from what Georgia teams we've seen in the past, it's not really something we're super used to, honestly. Because, you know, especially in the Ohio State and uh, LSU game, um, those points were needed. Like, uh, we, we definitely needed yeah. those points. So, um, seeing us be able to hang in there, like, in high shootout games and be able to just score with the best, the best in quotations, offenses in the nation, because Georgia, for some reason, does not get that same respect because we're known as a defensive team, is awesome to see. And Munkin's really that guy. Uh you know, we've seen guys like James Coley in the past come through the University of Georgia. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the offense back then was a lot more vanilla than what we see now. Um, and I, I think parts of that is because back then you saw a lot more teams kind of do what Georgia was doing at that time. And nowadays you almost have to kind of run a pro-style offense to win a national championship. You can't outrun teams nowadays. It doesn't really work like that. Um, if you could, Michigan would probably be trying to win national championships every year because it seems like they can't get that through their heads that, okay, guys, you might have to start throwing the ball a little bit more and become, you know, get a quarterback that's not just a game manager. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, teams are starting to figure that out, and Georgia has done a really, really good job at that. Um, you know, I, I want to give Todd Munkin a lot of credit with Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, we mentioned, he's a guy that, you know, struggled at the University of Georgia early on. Even the early on opportunities, we got to see him on the field. You know, nobody was super impressed with him. And it seemed like him and Munkin definitely got together, figured some stuff out, figured out the play designs, you know, that favored Stetson and put him in a really, really good situation to perform. So. You know, Munkin, you know, we preach this man like every week, it seems like on this podcast when Georgia plays, but, you know, he can't go unnoticed. He, he's an absolute stud. 
No, and I want to give us our praises too, Jake, because I know we're both on the record in the previous podcast giving our predictions of, of this game. And one thing you and I both said is that Brock Bowers was going to have a career game in this national championship. And boy, were we right. Seven receptions for 152 and a touchdown. Absolutely dominant. Pure domination from the best player in college football. No, no doubt the best player in college football. We can look back at those predictions a little bit right quick. Um, I do want to say, you said Stetson Bennett was going to have to be his best rushing game of his career. Um, I want to say, one sec, I'm about to find them stats right here. It was his fourth. Um, not terrible. It was the second best game of the year on the ground, though. Fourth of his career. Um, 39 yards on the ground. So he did produce very, very well on the ground. So that was that was the 39 yards, two touch. You can't complain about that. Good prediction, Kenny. Yeah. Mine was Lad McConkey was going to go over 100 yards. Obviously, we look back at the Ohio State game. He did not see much time on the field. He was kind of banged up. Uh, and, and he didn't quite hit it, kind of like Kenny's did, but a hell of a performance nonetheless, 88 yards and two touchdowns. So, hey, you know, we'll take the touchdowns. I think that adds a little bit of boost on the yardage. So, yeah, we, we, we were I, – I think, I think our game plan was, was pretty well scripted for sure. I'll take 88 yards and two tuds over 101 tud all day. And, and I'm going to tell you the reason why this makes so much sense is because going into this game, all you hear about is TCU has the best cornerback duo in college football. That's all you hear about. Now, lining up A.D. Mitchell outside and, uh, you know, Arian Smith outside, those two guys had two catches for a combined 33 yards. Guess what? Y'all forgot about Brock Bowers and Led McConkey. Y'all just let them guys do whatever they wanted to you on the whole game. Your corners might have had, had a good game. I mean, AD didn't really make much noise other than that one catch. He absolutely won over somebody, so I guess it's, it's pretty impressive. But, um, yeah, it, this was a Lad McConkey and Brock Bauer show. And it was perfectly put on display. Those two guys went bonkers. Like you mentioned, Bauer, seven catches, 152 yards a tud. McConkey, 85 catches, 88 yards, two tuds. And, man, Stetson throwing darts the whole game. One of those uh, games where you look at it and you're like, I cannot find a single mistake this kid made because he balled out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then talk about the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned Javon Bullard early on, the defensive MVP in this game. Two picks. Amazing game by him. I want to talk about a guy in Smile Munden, dude. Mm. Mm. Smile Munden is filthy. Give it to me. This dude is gross, man. Watching him play, he's in on every play. He's flying around the field. He's sticking people. I'm talking about this dude is an absolute tank. You talk about a guy with Smile Munden, 6'3", 220, sophomore. Uh, Georgia boy from Dallas. This dude came out here, man. He's been playing good all season long, but he has been progressively getting better week after week after week after week. And a linebacker tandem between him and JDJ with two young guys. I mean, what more can you ask for? I mean, Smile Munden, uh, JDJ, this is no shot at you because you have had an absolute amazing season. We've been singing your praises all year, but Smile Munden stuck out to me in this game, man. Dude is a absolute freak of nature and obviously he is the type of guy you see jake if you're watching us and it's not freezing up too bad doing the doing the cell phone the, t the telephone celebration that was off from stetson in the in the tennessee game uh if you haven't seen the clip on twitter go find it go see the georgia players talking about who would play stetson bennett in a movie uh, everybody came out there with the Matthew McConaughey's. We even had a Denzel Washington reference from A.D. Mitchell, legend. And then uh, old Smile Monday comes out there and says, oh, I, I think I could play Stetson Bennett in a movie. 
gives this Beth Stetson impression, him doing the doing the fist pump, doing the, the cell phone. So obviously this guy is a favorite in the dogs in the dogs locker room around the school and uh, a favorite on the field for us fans, man. This dude is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Really came on strong. Him and him and JDJ both. Um this is a position that a lot of people had circled going into the season is you know, we, we had an idea of who the two guys were going to be with J.D. and Jay and Small, Small London. But uh, it, it was definitely circled that these guys could, you know, replicate the performance we had. I mean, you look at the linebacker group last year. I think it was three three guys got drafted. Nicobe Dean, uh, I'm sorry, my, my Quay Walker. Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, and who was the other guy we had last year at linebacker? Oh! Channing Tindall. Channing Tindall, that's the name. Um, we saw those three guys leave for the draft this past year. And, you know, middle linebacker is a very, very important position at University of Georgia. That linebacker spot is so important because Georgia, you know, pretty much likes guys that can get to all over the field. And you are right, Kenny. In this game against TCU, Smell Munden showed that he can make any play anywhere on the field. If you get to the sideline, he's going to meet you there at minimal game. So, dude, he, I, I agree. He played a master class. I'll go ahead and throw another game name out there. And it's a guy that we don't, we haven't really seen much this year. A guy that a lot of people have shown a lot of promise in, and that's Barry Alexander. Barry Alexander and his playtime, man, this dude looked like an absolute animal, man. He was making big hits. He was second, uh, second on Max Duggan. So I, I'm excited to see what Bear can give us in the future, but it was nice to see him. Also, uh, Michael Williams. Michael Williams is, is that guy. Um, I think it's pretty much confirmed now. He's, I think he is on, you know, pace to be that next dominant University of Georgia defensive lineman. So keep an eye on him, guys. We've seen him all year. I think he was first team all uh, freshman. So, um, yeah, this kid's gonna be awesome. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, there's so much depth on this Georgia team on both sides of the ball, but predominantly on the defensive side. Something that we talk about every year with Kirby and Muschamp and the way they can recruit. And uh, some other guys too, you know, with Schumann and everybody, you know, everybody deserves credit. But we're so deep. There's so many guys we can rotate in. And against a team like TCU that loves to rotate, it seemed like something that was going to be pretty prevalent in this national championship game. And even in a 65-7 blowout, it was. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, you're right. And we got to see the depth so much in this game, too. You know, backups were in fourth quarter the whole time. Really late, late in third quarter, too, so. We got to see a lot of these guys start toting and start, you know, getting some play. Um, I was also, and I don't really want to go. It's a national championship game. This feels wrong to like just go in detail about your backups at this point. But like Branson Robinson, Branson Robinson played a hell of a game when he got his chances. Also, a guy that I'm really excited about in the future that we did get to see a little bit in his, you know, dynamic play off the edge is Jalen Walker. Jalen Walker is going to be an animal. So just seeing these kids come in into a, a team like against TCU late in a national championship game and still put on makes you excited for the future at Georgia. For sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know you and I had some uh, Georgia season superlatives we wanted to hand out. Do you want to head into that a little bit? Yeah, we can head into that. Like I said, 65 to 7. Guys, if you haven't seen the game, go find it on YouTube or something. It, it's it's a doozy if you're a Georgia fan. You can drool over it all day long. Sheer domination. Um all right, so yeah, this is something a little bit different to the podcast, maybe a little bit of a different segment, something you guys aren't too used to. Jake and I are going to give out some end-of-the-season awards here, some superlatives, if you will. We got an Offensive Player of the Year, a Defensive Player of the Year, and a Breakout Player of the Year for you guys. So um, Offensive Player of the Year, um, not the most exciting pick here. Mine's Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, man. I, I, I'm I 100% with you on this one. Um, Heisman, Heisman finalist, the first time we've seen that in Georgia in a long time. 
Um, I do want to throw two more names out there. And I, I think that if you're going to give a second and third place, it would probably be Kenny McIntosh and Brock Bowers in no particular order. I feel like you can kind of go either way. Brock Bowers put up 942 yards and seven tuts through the air. That's not something we've seen from, you know, Georgia pass catchers. And, you know, it, especially in, you know, the recent past. Um, and then Kenny McIntosh, man, 829 yards on the ground, 10 touchdowns rushing with 504 yards through the air and two touchdowns. So we're talking about a guy that had damn near, um, what, we're talking about 1,200 yards, about 1,250 yards and nine total touchdowns as a running back. This kid was awesome the whole season. Absolute stud, dude. Both of those guys. Um, how about defensive player of the year? I guess this is where it gets a little bit more interesting without the Heisman candidates in the conversation. Why don't you kick us off here, Jake? Okay, so defensive player of the year is a very, very hard one for me. And th this, to me, um, Jalen Carter has an insane impact on the field. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to put him as my defensive player of the year just because statistically he's not a very fun player. I'm going to make this a little bit more exciting. Um, and, and I think that my toss-up right here is it, – it's so hard. I want to go with one of these linebackers so bad with Smell Munden and JDJ just because of how much they impressed me and how, you know, how big of a factor they had. Also, Malachi Starks is a very, very honorable mention. Um, but I, I'm going to go a combination of these two middle linebackers we had this year with JDJ and Smell Munden. These two guys, you know, they roam the interior so well at that linebacker spot. Really surprised a lot of people. And it, it's so funny because sometimes, like, you're watching a Georgia game, and one week you're like, oh, yeah, man, JDJ, he's he's the better linebacker. But then the next week you see, you're like, nah, Smell Munden's the better linebacker. Like, these two guys, it's like a competition between the two every week, and uh, I love to see it. But like I said, you can't go wrong with Jalen Carter. His impact is, you know, undeniable. Also, a guy like Chris Smith, I mean, he's, you know, a super good player on this defense. I don't think that Keely Ringo really gets much love in this aspect, um, but he, he's also a stud, guys. No, dude. Uh, I, I like those a lot, and yeah, Jalen Carter, obviously, is a generational talent. A guy they're talking about being the number one overall pick in this year's draft. Um so, yeah, for sure, you can't look past him in this conversation. But for me, I kind of went a similar route to you. I went a little bit, you know, more under the rug, a little bit more eye test, and uh, I went and looked at the stats, and they backed me up a little bit. My defensive player of the year is Chris Smith. Chris Smith, I, I love it, honestly. Chris Smith was a an animal this year. I mean, you talk about a safety man, a guy that was pretty, I mean, a four-star recruit. He was a top, uh, a top 30, I believe he was a corner. He was a corner. School. Which is crazy to think because of you know the the impact that he has in the run game and everything, and um, playing in the SEC, this dude has come in and absolutely dominated. He came; he was the hero of last season, the pick six against Clemson to give us the win and kind of set off, kick off the season in the right direction, if you will. And dude's just come out here and been nails all season, man. Chris Smith finishes the season top five in total tackles, top six in total in uh, sacks, led the team in interceptions and second in forced fumbles at a safety. I mean, this dude dominated. He was a ball hawk. He was a head hunter. He did everything you asked him to do. He could come down to the line of scrimmage and rush the passer, passer if needed. He went out there peanut punching guys. Uh, he flew around the field. And when you're watching a team like Georgia that has so many stud players around the field and you can just kind of pinpoint one, like we mentioned with Smile Munden in this game, it seemed like every single game Chris Smith had an impactful play, a big game-changing impactful play. And for me... I gave him the defensive player of the year for that. I think the way that he was able to change the game for us was just insurmountable. And um, I'm going to give this guy all the credit in the world, Chris Smith. This dude is is somebody that I think is going to creep up draft boards a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, we had this conversation on Monday. We're talking about Chris Smith, and and this is no offense to Lewis Seen, and I know he hasn't really, you know, had too much success in the NFL. I want to say he suffered a pretty bad injury this year. But in, in my eyes, Christopher Smith is a better football player than Lewis Seen at the safety position. I think Lewis Seen is, is definitely more of your prototypical, like, hard-hitting, come-down-hill safety. But Chris Smith, if you watch him at the University of Georgia, man, um, if you see a guy catching the ball and you see Chris Smith flying in from five yards back, you already know that damage is about to be done because this guy can pop. Kenny mentioned it. This guy's an absolute ball hawk. If you put him in that deep third, he can, he can make plays on the ball in the air. You know, maybe not as great as Malachi. Malachi's, you know, a freak athlete. But having a guy like Chris Smith who has the ability to damn near tackle like a linebacker and roam, roam you know, the defensive backfield with the best of them, um, it, it's a beautiful thing. And it's funny you mentioned the, the Clemson game because going into that game, Chris Smith was not a guy that, that was not on my radar much at all. And it seemed like he no. damn near he damn near pick sixed himself into being a top five safety in college football. Because as soon as that happened, Chris Smith took off. He elevated his game all the way up to being a top tier safety in, in, in college football. I'm really happy you said that, though, because he's another guy I didn't mention earlier when I was talking about the guys that, you know, we'll be seeing on the Georgia football field for the last time. And Chris Smith is a damn good dog. And, you know, with the team that has had Bakari Rambo in the past, um, who um, who was that? Richard LeCount, obviously, Lewis Seen. We had a J.R. Reed, a ton of great safeties come through. This guy might be the best of the bunch. Dude, I'm telling you. Malachi Starks, obviously, is on pace to probably be the best one. But uh, Chris Smith, the way that he's able to dominate a football game is just second to none at the safety position, dude. This dude is an absolute beast. And I'm excited to see him at the next level. I think he may make a little splash. Uh, late day one, maybe day two guy in the NFL draft. I, I'm really pulling for him because I think he is somebody that could come in, start day one for an NFL team, and, and make a big dif- difference in that secondary. Yeah, I, I don't know about you with Chris Smith. I feel like a lot of his stuff is gonna be is gonna be boosted by the combine numbers. I, I feel like that's yeah. a very popular thing with him because he's not really a guy that you see like you know you get to, he doesn't get to show off his blazing speed or anything like that on the field. So if he goes into the combine and runs a four three five, like obviously we're gonna see his draft stock shoot up super high. Yeah. Um. So let's root for that for him. And really four four. He's he's still gonna be in good shape. So if he can boost his combine numbers up, show that he's an absolute speedster too. Um. You know, quick quick on the quick on the drills and I'm, I'm sure that'll help his draft stock a ton oh yeah for sure um last one breakout player of the year oh this is first, a fun one me to go um you got it it's a, it's a two-man race for me all right there's so many guys you could pick here mm-hmm. uh, so many i'm gonna go off the guy that impressed me the most this year and uh, mine's day john edwards oh i love it so much Dude, this guy is somebody that we talked about week one of this podcast and what we were expecting heading into this Georgia football season. We did our season preview. We did all these SEC breakdowns. And Jake and I mentioned on the record that this Dejon Edwards is a guy that a lot of people were saying coming out of this spring camp, he's the best running back on Georgia's roster. And we were like, what? We got Kenny Mack. We got Kendall Milton. We got Branson Robinson coming in. What are you talking about? Dejon Edwards. And then we see this guy play. If you look at Dejon Edwards and his career stats, his career numbers, I'm pulling them up right now to give a, a little bit of a background on this dude. He's been at Georgia three seasons. 37 rushing attempts his first year, 49 attempts last year, 5.9 yards carry, 4.4 yards carry. Coming into this year, people expect them to have a larger workload. 140 carries. 770 yards, averaged five and a half yards a carry with seven touchdowns. Even on the receiving side of things, he went over 100 yards receiving. He was able to do it out of the backfield between the tackles, outside the tackles. He's a 5'10", 200-pound guy. He's a hammerhead. He's also a hometown boy. Um, Dejon Edwards, you impressed me 
all year long. It seemed like there were so many games where, man, we were struggling. I know Kenny was battling some injuries. Uh, I know Kendall was battling a lot of injuries with that ankle foot thing he had going on. And Dajon Edwards was the constant throughout the entire season. Whenever we were struggling to move the ball on the ground, we needed somebody to come out there and provide a spark. You gave it to 30, and he got it done. And he did that so many times this year that it just, for me, I felt like from somebody that I did not expect preseason to have a huge impact on the way that this team would finish the year and to come out here and go for, you know, 850, 900 total yards of offense, it's it's ridiculous, man. I'm giving this guy all the praises because he is undoubtedly the most impressive breakout player to me this season. Yeah, this is this is a super fun question. I'm happy that you went with Dejan because I'm still trying to think about an answer now after you give me all that stuff. Um, Dejan Edwards, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a, a talk on him too. A guy that averaged 5.5 yards on the ground. This is something that me and Kenny Wright like, look, like to look at. Long of 28 on the season. So I, I'm going to tell you what that means to me. That means that this guy consistently pounds out consistent runs. He's consistently getting you a lot of yards. His stats are not inflated by long carries. Like There are some guys in you know college football that are like that, where they get a 70-yard carry per game, and it boosts their stats, you know, boosts their rushing yard per attempt to like seven in a game, and they really had like two on every other carry. This guy consistently totes the ball. One thing about yeah. Dejan Edwards, dude runs hard. You would not think this guy is 200 pounds when he's running that football. He runs like a 220-plus pound running back. He runs super hard. Um, easily a guy I can see playing at the next level. He, he just seems like that sixth-round pick that some team drafts, and he turns out to be a 1,000-yard rusher. Um, yeah. He's, 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 a, he's a monster, man. Um, I, I, I love watching him. And like you said, Kenny, me and you talked about him going into the season, and you know we expected him to get a significantly you know, larger workload. And uh, I, I think that's what happened. Really, in, in, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I think that's really your only option that we really see too much. Um, you know, a lot of offensive guys this year were just guys that we were able to maintain from last year. So on the yeah. defensive side of the ball is where things get a little bit more fun, though. Um, you know, we talk about guys like Malachi Starks. Even though he was a five-star top athlete coming into this year out of that out of that uh, 2022 class. So I don't really want to put him up there because he was a guy that we had high hopes for. Um, JDJ and Smell Monday both are two guys you could say were breakout players of the year. Um, and then honestly, I, I also like Javon Bullard. And I think that's the route I'm going to go just because you want Dejan Edwards. That was going to be my guy. But I'm going to flip it to the defensive side of the ball. I'm going to say Javon Bullard. A guy that we did not see too much early on in the season. And then you're watching, you're like, holy cow, this Javon Bullard kid is making plays. And then as it got to the season, like later on to the season, college football playoff time, you're like, holy cow, this kid is a legit superstar on this defense. Like he is a star player on this Georgia defense, a defense that is loaded with talent. Like I mentioned earlier, this three-star, four-star kid, whatever he was, true sophomore, is making huge plays on this defense that is surrounded by talent. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go with him, man. I'm going to give him a little bit of a shout out on this podcast today. I know I'm giving him a lot of love, but. Dude, he was a monster this year. He came out and showed up. He he handled that nickel spot after uh after William Poole stepped away from football. He took over that nickel spot and ran with it. No, dude, you're absolutely right. This is another guy who finished top five on the team in total tackles. Uh, third on the team in sacks as a defensive back with three and a half is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, finished, uh, I believe, second in interceptions behind Chris Smith. Yep, tied and, with uh, uh, Malachi. I mean, this dude is absolute stood and and you're right a breakout player for sure because a guy like javon bullard who you 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 mentioned malachi starks and a five five star freshman that you bring in a guy that everyone expects to have some kind of an impact and then you match him up with a chris smith that we saw from last season bringing him back and 
Javon Board's a guy that you really didn't know how much uh, you know, you know, PT he was going to get headed into the season and what kind of impact he was going to have on the team. And you're right, every time he was in the game, he was a game breaker. Yeah, he was he was an absolute monster, man. It was uh, it was awesome to see. All right, well, I think that wraps it up for the end of the season awards, man. Um, I don't know if you have any closing statements, Jake, but as a Georgia fan, it's been an absolute pleasure. It was a beauty of a season. It's been a great past two years. I'm looking forward to three. Yeah, I'm looking forward to three. Kirby did his little celebration after the thing. I don't know if you saw it or not. He held up the one. He held up the two, and then he went and held up the three. So I, I don't know what that signifies, but to me, if Kirby's saying it, I believe it because we trust the process, baby. That's what we do. Um, yeah, I, this is not going to be our last Georgia podcast by any means. Uh, we also have recruiting, and, you know, obviously we're going to do a lot of draft stuff. Me and Kenny are um, – we can give takes all day long on sports, but I know we are. We both love the offseason of sports too. That's one of the funnest moments to me in sports. I like to see movement. And, dude, whenever draft coverage comes around and stuff like that happens, we're going to go right back to these guys that are leaving this football team. We're going to talk about where they're going to be drafted. Um, we'll have a whole episode probably, you know, giving where we think these Georgia guys are going to get drafted, their combine workouts, all that fun stuff. So it's not last time we'll ever hear about guys like Darnell Washington and Stetson Bennett and all these guys. But, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a great season, man. It's been a fun time covering these dogs the whole year. I mean, it kind of feels sad that, we made it through the whole year of Georgia. I think we covered almost every game. We might have slipped up maybe a week or two. Um, but, yeah, we made it through a whole season. This is really our first, like, full season of any sport we've covered. So it, it was it was a lot of fun. I wish we could have gotten the Falcons a little bit more. But the bad thing is, I, I, me and Kitty, we both have real lives outside of this thing. So, uh, you know, sometimes we can only do an episode a week. And whenever you only have an hour, hour 30 to talk about sports and Georgia's making a playoff race and the Falcons are three games below 500, you kind of have to pick and choose who you want to talk about. Still love the Falcons. Um, this is going to be our moment where we kind of get to talk about them a little bit more come up at draft time. Absolutely. Yeah, the all-season stuff is super exciting for guys like me and Jake. And if you're uh, even if you're a casual sports fan, man, and, and you're just excited to see who your team's going to land in free agency or, you know, come draft time, or if you're a, just a college fan, you don't care so much about the NFL, but you want to see your boys succeed. Uh, it's an exciting time for everybody. I think everybody can find ways to get, you know, their blood pumping a little bit for uh, the offseason. And, um, you know, for sure, we, we're going to have plenty of coverage for it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's be beautiful. Well, I know, I know if we're talking football – I think we would be remiss if we didn't do a little men's league talk. You head up to the big boy league, man. Wild card weekend. Super wild card weekend. Oh, yeah. The playoffs are set. The table is set. The teams are in, and it is time for things to shake up. I'm pumped. We get Saturday ball. We get Sunday ball. We get Monday ball. There's a lot of teams in here, more than usual, because they added the extra team. And uh, we get some more football to look forward to. It's not college ball, but it's NFL ball, and we love it nonetheless. So I believe Jake and I are going to give you guys a couple picks and uh, a little fun segment here. We're going to give our Super Bowl predictions. I love it. I love it. All right, we're back on picks. It's been a minute. We're about to give we're about to give uh, picks. I want to say that me and Kitty are both going to give two official picks, no restrictions on what you have to pick. We can pick two favorites. We can pick two unders if we want to. We can pick whatever we want to. So I love to hear it, Kenny. All right, well, I guess let's dive into it, man. Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? What you thinking? Uh, I'll give one first, okay? I'll, I'll give my first official pick. Um, my first official pick is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals minus nine and a half. Um, I, I don't think Lamar Jackson's playing. Uh, it's pretty simple for me. At that point, if Lamar Jackson's not playing, this Baltimore team is significantly worse with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. Um, 
I don't see Baltimore staying in this game. I think Cincinnati is going to end up running away with this pretty easily. So uh, it's kind of self-explanatory right there. I think I just gave my whole explanation. It's Tyler Huntley versus the versus Cincinnati Bengals. Give me the Bengals by minus nine and a half. I love it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm taking that one as well. Bengals nice. nine and a half. Um, something interesting that I'm looking at right here too that I already have money on. I've got Bengals first half minus five and a half. Okay, cool. I, I like it. Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, my next pick. Actually, I have two picks that I'm looking at right here. I'm very interested in both of them. But um, I'm going to go ahead and give it out, man. I'm taking a Tampa Bay Buccaneers plus two and a half. Buccaneers plus two and a half. Playoff Brady made it. Hey, I, I, I'm with you on this uh, just because you can say what you want to about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers during the regular season. They were not that great of a football team. But you don't play around with playoff top Brady. It's a different animal. Um, this this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team has probably, you know, some of the most experience in the playoffs when it comes to playoff atmospheres and stuff like that. And that stuff is a big deal when it comes to playoff time. Some of these teams can't, you know, can't function during the playoffs. And they're actually facing a team that we've seen in the past that has not been able to function in the playoffs. So I, I like that pick a ton. And a matchup against the Cowboys team at home that mm-hmm. just lost playing their starters for three quarters, three and a half quarters against the Washington Commanders with a rookie quarterback in his first career start. Like, this team is not headed into this game with much momentum. I know the Bucks just lost to the Falcons, but Tom Brady played like a quarter, a quarter and a half maybe. The starters didn't play much. Um, still, we'll take it. Falcons, we get first win over Tom Brady. Let's go. Desmond Ritter, one and over Brady in his career. He's already on pace to be the GOAT. Love to see it. But for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think they head into this game with a lot of momentum, man. It's a home game. We know how it is down there in Tampa. Ticket prices are crazy. It's a it's a wild environment. It's one of the best stadiums and one of the best atmospheres to play in in the NFL. Um, one interesting thing about this game, everybody talks all year about this Tampa Bay offense and how this offense has looked putrid. They couldn't score any points. The best this offense looks is in a two-minute drill. And everybody's like, why is that? Why, why can they score – Six points the entire game, and then there's two minutes left, and they need to drive down 80 yards to score. They can do it. I'll tell you why. It's because Tom Brady's calling the plays. Yeah. This this coaching staff, obviously, is completely different with uh, Bruce Arians retiring. And, uh, you know, obviously, Tom keeps his OC, but I don't know what kind of dynamic has switched, but it just it, it hadn't been very cohesive the entire year. Picked it up a little bit more at the end, but for the most part, man, this offense hadn't been able to cook. And then all of a sudden, they're down five points, six points, on their own 20, a minute 40 left in the game, Tom goes right down the field, scores, takes the lead with 10 seconds left. You're telling me that he's doing that in a two-minute drill in the regular season, but he's not going to do that in a playoff game against the Cowboys at home? Dude, no. This I, I think we're going to see a different Tampa team this weekend, or Monday, I guess. This is the Monday night game. And look, hear me out. I'm a Dak Prescott fan. I root for Dak. One of, the, one of the better guys in the NFL person-wise. This season, if you're going to have a quarterback that's going to make a mistake that's going to cost him the game, it's going to be Dak Prescott. Now, it's, I, I hate to say it because, I, 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 like I said, I'm a big Dak fan. But what we've seen this season, I have no reason to believe that he will not throw a pretty untimely pick at, at some point in this game, if not two. So um, he, he, has given, he has given up a lot of opportunities this season. So against the Tampa team with a quarterback like Tom Brady, you cannot afford to have too many mistakes because he will capitalize. Um, and it just seems like this Cowboys team is a team that will have mistakes on the offensive side of the football. 
don't get me wrong, they have game breakers. They have guys like Michael Parsons and Trayvon Diggs who, who are absolute game breakers on the defensive side, can make a lot of plays. On the offensive side, we look at a guy like C.D. Lamb, a legit wide receiver number one in the NFL. Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, they're both still doing their thing this season. But mistakes are huge in playoff time. You cannot make those key mistakes, and it just feels like Dak Prescott's a guy that has the opportunity to make a couple of those mistakes. I agree with you. And uh, before I turn it over to Jake to give his second pick, I'm going to say this is not an official pick for me, but I am probably going to be on the Giants plus the three against the Vikings. Yeah, I, I, I was looking at it too. This is a Vikings team um, that has won a lot of one-possession games this year. It started to become kind of frightful. And, you know, near the end of the season, it kind of started to show that maybe this team's not as good as what everybody thought they were. Um, and this Giants team can play. There's a bunch of dogs out there. I know they're going to be hungry for this win. Um, we talked about a young quarterback like Daniel Jones, who's really proven himself this year. And, you know, Saquon Barkley's back. He's doing his thing. Um, they can get that wide receiver core healthy and on the field playing. That Giants team is is, is a team that they're not something to be reckoned with. No, this is the name that's been thrown in the gutter. Kenny Galladay, first touchdown as a Giant last week. Oh, it's the Galladay season, baby. Is he back? Hey, that talent has to be there. You cannot tell me that guy was a top 15 wide receiver then fell off the face of the earth in the span of two years. That does not happen. Kenny Galladay was unreal. Healthy with the Lions. And it... it if there's any spark left in that tank, it better come out in this game because yeah. man, he's a he's a great player. He is. Um, it feels weird to say that because he's kind of a meme nowadays. But you know, we, we have seen flashes of greatness from Kenny Kenny Galladay in the past. Maybe he might maybe he might come alive in this playoffs. That'd be that'd be very much needed. That'd be a really good boost for this Giants team that's already kind of yes, you know on a heater right now. Um, yeah, I, I'm just kind of rounding out the games right now. It's kind of hard to given official picks we mentioned these lines early on um i know skylar thompson's probably the guy in miami this weekend um still 13 and a half is a lot a lot of points um i, I would probably go buffalo minus 13 and a half i think it's a given that they're going to win that football game i don't think miami stands a chance in hell um if two attack of Iloa is on the field it's a different story i think that they have more fighting obviously to a beat the bills earlier this season um but I think my I think my second official pick is going to be the under in the Dallas Cowboys Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, the under forty five and a half. Uh, we Love talked that. about it. Yeah, we talked about it earlier with uh, you know, Dallas and their offense. They can move the ball on the ground pretty well. Uh, guys like Tony Pollard, he, you know, he he's had a really insane season this year, and then Zeke still gets it done. Zeke still scores touchdowns. I don't. For some reason, Tony Pollard will drive them seventy yards down the field, and they'll let Zeke get two carries in the red zone and get them in the end zone. So they, but man this Tampa Bay team has just not allowed many points and they also haven't scored that many points. So it just feels like one of those matchups where Tampa, you know, their defense might lock down Dallas and, you know, I, I don't really know if that offense is going to come super alive just for the main fact that, you know, a lot of these teams out there with those, you know, good coaching staff guys, you know, smart minds on the sidelines, smart minded quarterback, they, they're not in the game to cover a spread, which obviously they're, they're underdogs in this game. They're in the game to win the football game. They don't care about racking up 40 points on you and beating you by 35. If they beat you by three, they're just content moving on to the next round. Like That stuff does not matter. So Exactly. Um, I, I definitely see this game being a low-scoring game. And honestly, I can say the same thing about Dallas. I don't really see Dallas trying to you know rack up the score. I think this is going to be a game that's going to be trying to be you know dominant with time of possession. Teams are going to try to you know dominate who can have the ball more often. And uh, I, I definitely see that selling to be a, a low-scoring affair. Um, I, I'm not like super in love with it, like, I, but it, it feels like a really good pick to me. Um, 
I, I feel like this game people are going to have circled, and I, I don't know if offensively it's going to have the outcome like a lot of people might think. No, dude, I, I love the under in that Tampa game for sure. That's something that I'm 100% going to be on. All right, so do you want to touch, since, since we're kind of like not on the shorter side of things, but I mean, we're not doing terrible on time. You want to go ahead and like touch on these these last couple games that we did not get the chance to mention, the Saturday games? Just We don't have to get no picks or anything. Just a little you know outlook on what we think about them. Sure. All right, so uh, you know, kicking off kicking off wild card weekend, we have uh, Seattle going to San Francisco, the 49ers. Um, Geno Smith has been an absolute rev- rev- revelation this season. Uh, Kenneth Murray, been an absolute stud too, toting the ball on the ground. But they are facing a different beast right now. This San Francisco 49er team may very well be the hottest team in the NFL right now. And it's really, it, it's so crazy to say it, they are rallying around Mr. Irrelevant. Um, they got Brock Purdy in, you know, uh, Trey Lance went down with the injury. Jimmy Garoppolo went down with the injury. Uh, Brock Purdy became the guy, that former Iowa State quarterback. A guy that was pretty damn good in college, but was not drafted very highly, obviously, Mr. Irrelevant. They also go out and trade for Christian McCaffrey. At the time, we're kind of looking at it like, oh, you know, I mean, they had Jeff Wilson. Obviously, Jeff Wilson's now in Miami. He got traded a little bit, you know, right after they brought in McCaffrey. What a boost. What a move. They gave up a ton. Don't get me wrong. But holy cow, Christian McCaffrey. I'm, like I said, I'm going to give Purdy his credit. But McCaffrey, this guy has made this team a completely different monster. Like, I, I almost feel like I forgot how good this guy was on a football field because he was playing with a piss-poor Carolina team. But now that he's actually on a good team again with a great, you know, offensive mind with Kyle Shanahan, holy cow, Christian McCaffrey is that dude. Again, I'd love to see it. No, I'm with you. Something that I'm looking at in this game, you can get Geno Smith at over one and a half total touchdowns plus 194. I want to say he leads the league in three touchdown games this year. Plus 194. That's Maybe it's nuts. two touchdowns. Brock Purdy, minus 102. Hey, he hasn't had a game yet where he's thrown under two. Let's do it. Dude. It seems like it. it's a lock until it loses, right? Plus 200 odds on Geno Smith. I'll take that over all day. Mm-hmm. Love to um, see it, man. No, I love the Niners in this game. I don't know if I love them. By nine and a half, but I yeah. do love the Niners in this game. Um, a game that I'm super excited for is a Saturday night game and something that uh, recently became more prevalent on my schedule. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars at home against the Chargers. This is a Chargers team that a lot of people had as a Super Bowl pick earlier to start the season. A lot of people, dude, they were like consensus favorite to win the AFC West. And um, I'm not sure if people forgot that the Chiefs existed, but... Um, Everybody had the Chargers and the Broncos and the Raiders. It seemed like they were giving them more respect than the Chiefs, and uh, we see how that worked out. But anyways, the Jacksonville Jaguars at home, man. The Jags make the playoffs. They got that the Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals turnaround. Uh, you know, Trevor came in there first year. Obviously, perfect conditions for a rookie quarterback with Urban Meyer as your head coach. What more could you ask for, right? <laughs> everybody's everybody's talking about that offense. That team sucks. That team is trash. Why? Their their depth chart looks pretty good. They got good players. Oh wait, their coaches out here in bars fondling around with twenty one year old girls while his wife sits at the house. He's kicking players in the face during pregame stretches yeah this dude is an absolute buffoon that was the issue you bring in an actual competent head coach with doug peterson dougie pete man this dude has been one of the most successful head coaches in recent years in the nfl he's had a had kind of a weird situation go on in philly ended up i think resigning instead of getting fired and 
been kind of sitting on the sidelines for a while. And what more could you ask for as a Jags fan to bring in a guy like Doug Peterson, who is a known offensive guru, quarterback guru for a young quarterback like Trevor Lawrence with all the talent in the world. And uh, I know Jags fans are on cloud nine right now, man, to host a playoff game. Um, they are two and a half point underdogs in this game. These two teams did face earlier in the year where the Jags beat them pretty heavily. Um, big thing in this game, I think we're expecting Mike Williams will not play in this one. Not 100% sure on that update. I know Mike Williams was taken off the field in the meaningless Week 18 game. I'm sure Brandon Staley's very, very happy that he decided to start his starters in that game. Um, <laughs> Mike Williams is obviously a wide receiver, two for this Chargers team. Would be a wide receiver, one on like 20 NFL teams. Dude is an absolute stud. So missing a guy like that is very, very significant. And for the Jags, they've been playing great ball lately. They're buzzing. I think everybody's healthy, to my knowledge. Um, Two and a half is not a big spread. It's it's not something that you you, you take, you know, you, you take that two and a half with a grain of salt and, and you kind of put on your big boy britches if you're going to take it. But I like the Jags as underdogs in this game. If that line would get down to maybe three and a half, I'd feel a lot better about it, but I don't think it will. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I like the Jags, man. If, I, if I'm going to give you my biggest surprise team that could pull off a Super Bowl championship, I'm going to give you Jacksonville. Because yeah. I think that this Jacksonville team, when they are hot, if they can catch some of these teams on maybe a down day, this Jacksonville team can score points. Like there, There's no doubt about it. This Jacksonville team can roll on offense. And they're just a team that nobody's really expecting much from. Um, I think it's mostly just from the namesake Jacksonville Jaguars. It doesn't really have a great ring to it you know, in recent history for sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, man, uh, this Jacksonville team is real. Now, don't get me wrong. This Chargers team, I, I'm going to say I'm guilty of it. This was my Super Bowl pick to start the season. I had the San Diego Chargers, San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers winning the Super Bowl at the beginning of the season. Uh, I, I'm going to take my my stuff back on that. I, I no longer think that is the case. And it's not personnel-wise. Don't get me wrong. This team went out and added, you know, a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, we look at the offense with guys like Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. Unlimited talent, it seems like. But for some reason, they just have not been as dominant as what we had expected to see from them. A lot of teams, a lot of people thought they were going to be a dominant force in the NFL this year, and they have been damn good. Don't get me wrong, but not really as dominant as what we thought. Um, in this Jacksonville team, man, a lot of fight, and hey, playoff experience matters a ton. And you have a coach like Doug Peterson who knows what it takes to win a Super Bowl and to get a team there. Um, with a young roster like Jacksonville has, with a lot of dogs on that team. I love it, man. I, I think Jacksonville is going to win this football game. And honestly, like I mentioned earlier, I think Jacksonville, I, I will tell you right now, in a tougher conference, I think Jacksonville has a better chance to win the Super Bowl than Minnesota Vikings do. I, I'll Let's be go, completely Jake. honest. I'm going hot take all the way right here. I think I, I don't think Minnesota's a very good football team. I think Jacksonville, I think offensively, they can keep up with most people. I think defensively, they're solid enough where they can hold teams. I think that they are very similar in the aspect of a lot of the other AFC teams that we see. I don't know if that's even a hot take, honestly. Yeah, I guess people have fallen off of Minnesota a lot recently. I, honestly, uh, I, I think Philadelphia is going to be a juggernaut. I, that's going to be the team to beat. If, if a team in the NFC can knock out Philadelphia, I feel like it opens things up a lot more. And then you have San Francisco as well. But I think right now, uh, between San Francisco and Philadelphia, obviously throwing Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, I think that it's kind of a two-man race with, with Tampa Bay looking right outside that door, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. I think the only thing that's hurting Philly right now is they got the stigma of being the number one seed. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's only been 
one number one seed win the Super Bowl in the past six years, and it was Philly in 2018 or 2017, whatever it was, which is, you know, crazy. So if there's a team that's going to do it, it could be Philly. Um, and then you look on the other side of things with the AFC, you got the Chiefs at the number one seed. I don't think anybody will sit here and tell you that they can't win the Super Bowl. So, um, no, dude, you're right. I mean, you talk about that 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 Eagles team, man. They're nuts. Yeah, and now crazy. You know, J- Jalen Hurts gets a bye week to get healthy. I don't think he was back to his full self this past week. So, um, if that team can get healthy and get ready to roll, dude, uh, they're for sure. I think the Eagles are a juggernaut. I agree with you. It, they they've really turned around this season. Honestly, uh, the addition of AJ Brown on the offensive side of the ball, making Devontae Smith where he can be more of a two wide receiver, um, is is a beautiful thing. Both guys have made really really good progression this year as wide receivers. Um, AJ Brown's always been a stud, but seeing what he could do this year, I think he even went up a tier when it comes to ranking your wide receivers. For sure. Um, the next game I've got in front of me is Miami Buffalo. I know we already t- talked about that one a little bit. Shoot. Um, uh, Giants Vikings. We talked about that one a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Ravens Bengals. We did talk about that one, and then we got Cowboys Bucks. Yes, I think I think we cleared up. I think we cleared up the weekend pretty well. Well, Jake, who as of right now, before we've seen any meaningful postseason football at all, who is your Super Bowl matchup prediction? Kansas City Chiefs are going to beat the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl. It's like that it. simple. It's that simple. It's 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 already written in the book. It's gonna happen. San Fran's probably the hottest team in football right now. Um, little Kansas City, nobody's gonna stop them. Um, if I was gonna throw out a secondary pick, it's gonna be Cincinnati Bengals against San Francisco. I think Cincinnati beats San Fran. I actually wrote the Chiefs. I didn't say who I think was gonna win, but I had Chiefs Eagles, which is crazy because I just said that uh, the last one seed to win a Super Bowl was the Eagles, and I'm picking two one seeds to make it. But <laughs> Hey, uh, hey, I like it. I like it. The curse got to be broke, right? But I, uh, yeah, I think it's the Chiefs Super Bowl to win. Um, that's not the most exciting take, I will say, on this show. You know, no, it's like sitting around saying that George is going to beat TCU in the national championship. It's not the most profound statement that we can make. But, dude, I, I think there's three teams in the NFL that I watch them play, and I think it's going to take an absolute master class from the team on the other side of the football to beat this team. Can I guess? Yeah. Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo. I, it, you're close. Kansas City, it's, Buffalo, Philadelphia. It's Kansas City, Cincinnati, Philadelphia. Oh, you left Buffalo out. Oh, man, that's going to be a hot take. The only reason I left Buffalo out is because we've seen Buffalo shoot themselves in the foot. Hey, I love it. That's the reason I left Buffalo out, too. I'm not a big Buffalo guy. I think you know that by now. <laughs> it, it, I mean, Buffalo is obviously a great team. Josh Allen yes. is a is an amazing quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for sure, top three undoubtedly. Um, but with when I watch the Chiefs play and the Bengals and the Eagles, what I see is a team where even when they play bad, they play better than the other team. Mm-hmm. Unless the other team has an absolute masterclass of a game, they come out there and they play the best game they've played all year. Um, like you know, they they always talk about Joe Burrow against Patrick Mahomes. Joe Burrow's three and zero in his career against Patrick Mahomes. That's awesome. Joe, guess what? The Bengals are one of those teams I just mentioned. Every single time the the Cincinnati Bengals have played the Kansas City Chiefs, with exception to last year's AFC Championship, 
the Bengals have just purely outperformed the Chiefs. I will give the Chiefs a little bit of a knock on last year's AFC Championship game. They were dominant in the first half, came out there in the second half, and just crapped the bed. So they got a little bit of that shoot-themselves-in-the-foot treatment that the Bills get. But, dude, those three teams that I watch them play, it's going to be hard for a team to beat them if they don't play an absolute perfect game. But you're right about the Bills, man. I think Josh Allen is what tied for the league lead or second in uh, in turnovers this season. Um, and he's a gunslinger. He's not a guy that's going to come out there and play the most efficient game. He's the Brett Favre type guy. He's, you know, there's not everybody can be uh, Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. You know, they're not going to go out there and throw for 40 touchdowns and, and you know, 10 or less interceptions. It's not going to happen that often. So, you know, everybody's unique, but those are the three teams I think that are going to have the best shot at making a run in my opinion. And, um, I'm going to give the Chiefs the edge over the Bengals. It's hard to beat a good team twice. Joe Burrow's done it three times. I don't know how likely four is. So, uh, And then on the NFC side of things, I think it's really going to come down to the Eagles and the Niners. I agree with you there. Yeah, my one concern with San Francisco is just the quarterback. Uh, 